Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Welcome to everyone who's just downloaded this podcast. I want to talk about faith this morning. I want to talk about real faith. What is real Bible faith? And uh, I hope this will be of use to us all as we come around God's word. Verse 11 of Mark 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple, looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out. He went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now coming to verse 20, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Verse 22, have faith in God. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Praise God. Amen. Um, we live in a world of, um, of incredible fear. We live in a world where there's pessimism, don't we? People are afraid of things. People fear the worst. People assume that terrible things are going to happen. There, there are lots of optimistic people about And not all optimistic people are Christians. And not all Christians are optimistic people. Yes? Is that right? But the world, generally speaking, is is really a world of of fear. It's so funny that when, and some of you will have experienced this, when you began to learn the English language, some of you, and particularly not just the language, but the idioms of English, you learned that people said things like, I'm afraid to say. And you thought, why are they afraid? Uh, You had to learn, if you came from another culture than the English culture, that if you said to someone, how are you doing? If they said, not too bad, that meant they were good. We have a strange, strange culture, strange idiom, you know, the language. I remember some Argentinians, friends of mine, and they said to someone, a pastor, I think, how are you doing? And he said, not too bad. And when they translated that back into Spanish, it sounded like he was terrible. You know, he was doing, he's not too bad. That means he is bad, but he's not too bad. So we have a, even in our language, even in our language, there's a sense of pessimism and fear and, and, uh, you know, a sense of difficulty in life. Not everyone is like that. 
Some people are optimistic. Not everyone who is optimistic is a Christian. Not all Christians are optimistic. The Bible says this though. We have the spirit of faith. Can you say amen? Amen. We have the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13. Paul says we have the spirit of faith. I.e. we possess the Holy Spirit who is a spirit of faith. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, the spirit we've been given by, by God and from God is not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit that makes us timid. He is a spirit who makes us to have faith. And it's time for us not just to be people who have faith, but people who live out a life of faith, who have faith. And Outwork it in our lives. When we put the membership requirements together for this church, when we say we, I sat and did it one time, I remember a few years ago, and I remember writing that one of the requirements to be a member of King's Church, listen to this, was optimism. Optimism. If you want to be a member of King's Church, you have to be optimistic. And before you say, well, that's not fair because I'm, I'm a pessimist, I believe optimism is a choice you make. You can decide to be optimistic. And that came out of years and years of pastoring in churches where people were just generally gloomy. I'm born again. Are you really? Let's see it on your face then. Oh, I'm full of the joy of Jesus. Really? Why don't you tell your face that you're full of the joy of God? When's it going to come onto your face? Come on now. Now we all have bad days. I have bad days. I'm having a bad day now. We all have bad days. But the overwhelming, you know, so you can have a valley. And in this church, by the way, you are allowed to be real. And we love every, everyone, whether they're on the mountain or in the valley. But there is a, there is a degree in which we are in control Of whether we have a positive or a negative outlook. It's an act of decision that we make. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And faith will bring either one of two things into our life. It will either bring a miracle into our circumstance. Or it will enable us to live above the circumstance in which we're in. So either way, we're winners. Sometimes we get miracles. And lots of times we don't get miracles. And I'm not, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to say that. We don't get quite what we were hoping for. But even when we don't get instant miracles for whatever problem we might have, what God provides is the ability for us to live above the circumstances in which we are. And so either you get set free from some problem or you get the grace to endure While you're going through that difficulty. Either way, we are winners. Can you say amen? And this is the spirit of faith. It's not a denial of the facts. It's not about saying, I don't have cancer if you do. It's not about saying, I don't have depression if you do. It's not about saying, I'm richer than a millionaire if another letter, you know, I'm cutting off your telephone is coming in through the door. We're not talking about living in fantasy. But we are talking about having a spirit of optimism, a spirit of faith. 
Hebrews 11 is a great passage. It, it talks about people who, through faith, closed the mouths of lions. But then it goes on to say, and others were sawn in two. Can you imagine God giving man the choice of that? Now, what kind of faith would you like? Do you want the faith that closes the mouth of the lion? Or would you like the faith that gets you sawn in two? Now, uh, this isn't Britain's Got Talent. When you were sawn in two in the Bible, you really were sawn in two. You didn't leap up from the back of the judge's panel and go, look at me. They were sawn in two. So either we receive faith to see our problem disappear, or we receive the faith to help us in the midst of it. So either way, we are winners. God wants us to be a people of faith who have a positive outlook and have a sense of victory even in our darkest dungeons. It's not unique to me, but many people have commented that the book of Philippians, the main theme of the book is joy. Paul talks about joy something like 16 times in just four chaps, short chapters, something like that. Mentions it a number of times. And yet that book, Philippians, is written from jail. From jail. And so there was someone who, I'm sure Paul had prayed many times, may I leave this jail, I'd really like to get out of this jail. But he never left the jail physically in the time he desired. But he'd already left the jail in his spirit, hadn't he? If you see what I mean. He wasn't living the life of an imprisoned man. He was living the life of a free man. He was able to live above the circumstances. I want to talk about faith and just three areas of faith that I think will, will help us. What are we supposed to have faith in? What are we supposed to have faith in? First of all, I believe, and each of these is in this passage, beginning in verse 22 of Mark 11, Jesus said, have faith in God. And I've, I've caught this first thought, having faith in the God revealed in Christ. Some people have the wrong God in their head. Am I allowed to say that? Some people believe in God, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's not even the God of the church they attend. It's the God that they have inside their own head. So sometimes when people say, well, God told me such a thing, I want to say, which God? The real one or the one inside your head? The one inside your imagination? Which one was it? Because they're, sometimes they're quite difficult to tell apart. God is good. God is good. And sometimes when we go through difficulties, we can end up in the most incredible confusion. You're sitting with your GP and he refers you to a specialist when you were hoping he'd give you the, you know, goodbye, leave the surgery. And now suddenly you have an appointment at Adderbrooks instead. Or you were hoping for good news about that job, you were sure you'd got it and now you haven't got it. Or you were hoping to get such and such a property and you haven't. 
or your daughter or your son look like they were just about to soar high, graduate college, get away from that dodgy girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it might have been, and it's all gone wrong. Despite your prayers and your advice and, and, and everything, it's gone wrong. And you can end up in the most incredible theological confusion. But let us be clear on one simple thing. God is always good. The devil is bad and God is good. When everything else has been cleared off the table, when we've had this word from him and this word from her and this scripture and this thought and this happened and this lorry went by me with a word on it, when we've cleared all that out of the way, we can be sure of one thing, that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He's going to be good to me. Whatever is happening in my GP surgery, whatever's happening at Annabrooks, whatever's happening with my kids, whatever's happening with my house, whatever's happening with my job, whatever is happening with my spouse, God is going to be good to me. He can't help himself. That's what he's like. He's good. People say, well, I've been thumbing through the Old Testament and he seems to be killing people back here. Look, he's just crushed someone with his foot. Look, he's just struck someone dead here. What is this God? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And one of the... (coughs) I'm preaching now. This is good, isn't it? One of the missions of Jesus. He had many missions, but he didn't just come to die on the cross. That is... The central mission, of course it was. But he's a multifaceted guy, Jesus. And one of his missions was to show people what is God really like. Amidst all the confusion, amidst all the theologies, and is God going to, is he this kind of God? Is he that kind of God? When you look at Jesus, you see the face of God. When you look at the character of Jesus, you see the character of God. So it's difficult for you to sit down in a chair and say, well, I believe God must be punishing me for my sins. He already punished Jesus for your sins. How can there be a double punishment? There's no such thing as a double punishment for the same crime. Two people can't be charged for the same crime. God does not punish me for my sins anymore. And I am a sinner, but he doesn't punish me for my sins anymore because he already punished his son. God is good. God is good. We can't be sitting in our sofa going, on our sofa going, Lord, if I pray that you will give me this job, I know what will happen. You'll give me that one. Lord, if I ask you, can I please marry Duncan? I know what you'll do. You'll make me marry Gary. And my heartfelt apologies to everyone listening to this on the internet called Gary. I had a good friend at school called Gary Bell. wonder where he's ringing now. But all sorts of funny ideas come out about God. Well, if you ask God for this, he'll give you this. Who is this God? I tell you, it's the one in your head. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37 
And he'll do what? Give you the desires of your heart. Hallelujah. God is good. Now, just like in the days of Jeremiah, we don't know the future. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. To prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Hallelujah. Well, can we have something more specific? Nope. I know the plans I have for you. You don't. I love that when people quote that. Oh, God's going to show me his plans because he says I know the He says he knows the plans. He doesn't say he's going to tell them to you. If God told you all the plans, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be out of here, wouldn't you? You'd be out of here. You wouldn't do it. That's why he doesn't tell you. It's like your mum and dad not telling you that today you're going to go to the dentist. Or you're going to go to a new school. Because your natural fear would say, no, it's not going to be any good for me. But thank God you did go to school. Most of us anyway. I know the plans I have for you, God says. You don't know them. But I promise you this. I'm good. And these plans are going to bless you and prosper you. They're not going to do you harm. And they're going to give you a hope and a future. Come on, put your hands together for the Lord. It's good, isn't it? It's good. That's what God says. It's good. I just want a bit more specific. Well, you're not going to get anything more specific. Even when Phil comes back from America, he's flying back today. Even when the prophet of God comes back, or even when Bill is here next week prophesying, you may not get anything too specific. But hear the word of the Lord today. God's good. And make sure your God looks like Jesus, please. Otherwise, you're going to have a funny, funny life, <laughs> funny Christianity. You're going to have a devil that's far too big. Hello? Do you think the devil looked big in the presence of Jesus? I think he looked like he was on the run. One time I was sat in a car, not far from here. <laughs> People love demon. People love demon stories, don't they? Here's, here's one. I was sat in a car just around the corner from here. Sitting next to me in the passenger seat was a demon-possessed woman. And suddenly she began to contort in the seat. I want you to know that when demonic people contort, if the seatbelt is on, they, they can't get away. She was captured by a seatbelt in the car. And as she contorted more and more, she reached and pulled away the seatbelt. I thought, clever devil. And I said... I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I didn't get out Zeus. The door opened and the woman ran for her life down Devonshire Road, not far from here. A big yellow coat. In fact, the coat, she ran so quickly, the coat kind of went up in the air. Looked like sort of a yellow Superman <laughs> with a cape. Going down there. You've got to have the right God. If you want to talk to the devil, put some scripture on the bottom of your shoes. That's where he is in my Bible. Down there. Too many people doing spiritual warfare, talking to powers of darkness as though they're up in the sky. 
No, we're in the sky, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions. Can you say amen? Live as though the devil's under your feet and you'll find that he will be. Live as though he can jump on top of you and you'll find he'll do that. He'll do whatever, he'll do whatever um, permission that you give him. And uh, people sometimes think I'm not very spiritual about this and warn me, oh, you, you've, you've got to be careful. Why should I have to be careful? I've got the victor living in me. My name is written in heaven. I should fear God. And if you fear God, you never have to fear the devil. The problem with God is in the charismatic church, we've got all sorts of people who fear the devil but don't fear God. And that's when it doesn't work. Get it the right way around. You need the right God in your head. You need the right God in your life. God is good. He is good. We're not required to put our faith in fantasy, faith or formulas. Sometimes there's been... Oh, forgive me, but sometimes there's been so much emphasis on praying the word or confessing things. And sometimes, of course, it's stunning to do this. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So we do have to speak things out. When we speak things out, there is an incredible creative force. Speaking is not just for communication, it's for creation. Who spoke first in the history of the galaxy? God. Who did he speak to? Nobody. Let there be light. Who was he speaking to? Nobody. The first time somebody spoke, it was to create, not to communicate. Do you like that? And so there's a, there's a deep sense in which the things we say create still. Now, you're not, you're not going to create a world, but you might create your world. By the things you say. Can you say amen? So we have the spirit of faith. Optimism. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there will be sun. And if not tomorrow, the day after. You've got to speak things. That are good. Jesus said to the fig tree in the story. May you never bear fruit again. And it didn't. Now the disciples called it a curse. But he didn't curse it actually. He just spoke and said, this will never bear fruit again. And look at the power of that. See, in a sense it was faith. But in another sense, it was doubt. And if you will say time and time again, you know what, I'm never going to amount to anything. Then you're cursing yourself, aren't you? And it's going to get inside your spirit. I'm not talking spooky now. I'm not talking about breaking curses of people and shout at the front here. I'm not talking about that. You don't need that. Just believe the Bible. And you can have all the truth that you like. If you don't believe the Bible and you haven't got the right God... You're going to be just as messed up after you've had the treatments as you are now. Come on, say amen. I'm telling the truth. Why do people go again and again and again for ministry again and again and again? They get all this specialist treatment. They get, they get experts and little spurts praying for them. It doesn't matter who. You get prayed for by experts, get prayed for by little spurts. 
But some people are not changing because they've got the wrong God in their head. And God is good. It's not about formulas. It's not about fantasy. And it's not even about faith. There was a book that came out many, many years ago, 30 years ago probably, How to Have Faith in Your Faith. You don't have to have faith in your faith. Just have faith in God. Just have faith in God. Trust God with your life. Trust God with today. Trust God with tomorrow. Because he's good. We said that when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, it didn't bear fruit again. And this is, this is something we can say about ourselves. And it brings me to this second one. Now, this one we have to be really careful with. I don't want to be misrepresented or misquoted on this. But Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, verse 23, if anyone says to this mountain, throw yourself in the sea and doesn't doubt, believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. We don't have faith in ourselves. We don't have faith that we are the next big shot. We don't have faith that It's all down to me. If it wasn't for me, this world would be such a bad place. We don't have that. We don't think that we're some big thing. But I tell you what we should think. We should think that if anyone believes in the name of the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. We've been baptized, that means immersed, in, with, the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen to King David. That didn't happen to John the Baptist. That didn't happen to Elisha. But it happened to me and it's happened to many of you. God has come to not just be, not just to fill us, but to be fused with us. When you baptize, it's the same word used for putting uh, cloth into dye. And once you put the cloth into the dye, you can't separate them. The dye is in the cloth. And the cloth is in the dye. You can't separate them. Well, I've been immersed With the Holy Spirit. That means that the Spirit is in me. And I am in Him. And now, these things can't really be separated. I want to encourage you to have a humble approach to life. God resists the proud. Make no mistake. So, He gives grace to the humble, yes? So God resists the proud. So no one should be proud. But humility and saying I can't do anything are not the same thing. I believe Jesus had humility. I believe he was a man of humility. But I don't believe he thought to himself, but I can't do anything. Are you you hearing me today? They are not the same thing. Humility and self 
well, let's, let's be strong, self-hatred or low esteem, they are not the same thing. There are plenty of people with low esteem who don't possess an ounce of humility, actually. And there are plenty of people who have humility who somehow mix it up with this sense of, well, I can't do anything. But that's not the will of God. That's not the, that's not the spirit of faith. That's not the life of faith. Paul knew that without Christ, he was nothing. But it's Paul who says, I can, not God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we can't twirl the moon in our hand. We can't walk upon water at will. If we could, we'd all be down at Parkside Pool now with a new form of evangelism. But anything that is the will of God, I can do it. If God wants me to do it, I'm going to be able to do it. Not not because of me, but because of him. I could do all things, but it's through Christ. So as long as I stay close to Christ, I can do anything that is Christ's will. It was Smith Wigglesworth who once brashly said in a meeting, never say you can't if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. That wasn't Phil Shaw, that's Smith Wigglesworth there. Never say you can't if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. See, we can do do all manner of things. And perhaps we just don't believe it. Perhaps we like to pull back every person that God spoke to in the Bible and gave a big job, they all said no. Everyone. Oh no, we're not me, Moses. No, can Aaron do it? Not me. Well, who am I? You know, Gideon, who am I? And it, It looks like humility, but it's not humility. It's unbelief and disobedience. I'm banging my leg. I must believe this. And some people think they're humble, but they're not humble. They are disobedient. It would have been disobedient of Moses to say, I'm not going to do it. That would have been disobedient. That, that, that would have been humility. That was disobedience. That was saying, I, I can't do it. And God said to him, I, I, I know you can't do it, but I'm going to be with you. And I want to say, whatever your dreams are today, whatever is going on on the internet, whatever God is calling you to do in the next 12 months, you can do it. Through Christ who strengthens you. You can do it. If God's willing it, you can do it. But that doesn't necessarily mean you will do it. Because you have to yield your will to God. I've said it many times. The act, when are the acts of the apostles going to come back? The acts of the apostles are going to come back when we all start acting like apostles. It's not rocket science. When apostles act, we get the acts of the apostles. And if we will act like apostles today, and don't, I'm not worried about the the title's not worried about the, necessarily the function, but what I mean is if we will take bold steps for Christ with the gospel, we will see exactly the same as the apostles did, if not more. For greater work shall you do because I go to my Father. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's why you shouldn't be speaking to your own tree the tree of your own heart going, well, you're never going to do anything or you're not going to bear fruit because that's what can happen. 
That's why this story about the fig tree is so important. It's a warning. It's a warning as well for us not to say these things to other people. I tell you, 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 you want to talk about a curse? You want to talk about a curse? There are two kinds of curse, and one of them I really believe in. One kind of curse is some sort of weirdo in a room with a picture of me putting a pin in it. I'm not worried about that. I'm not in the least bit worried about that. Unless it's a good picture, in which case you shouldn't be damaging it. I'm not worried about that. Who cares? How can he curse whom God has blessed? That was Naaman's revelation. But here's another kind of curse. Much more awful than someone in a room putting a pin in your picture or making a voodoo doll of you or going voodoo over your name. Much more powerful is someone coming up to you and going, do you know what, I didn't think you sang very well. Or I don't think you should really be doing that. The power of that negativity is much more of a curse than some funny weirdo in a dark room. Do you understand what I'm saying today? These are the real curses. These are the real curses. Not the, it's not the satanic stuff. We've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. But the real curses, where life and death are in the power of the tongue. Or when we say to people, oh, you're, you'll never amount to anything. Or you, you know, you're not going to do that. Or that's not very good. That's not very good. Let's be, let us be optimistic. Let's speak the goodness of God over one another. And don't forget to love your neighbor and love yourself. If God wants you to do it, you can do it. I've told this story so many times, but so forgive me, but many times traveling around South America in a bus, I'd be so ill. I was just saying to the guys this morning, I spend most of the mission just as ill as anything. And I'd be tired. I'd be. One time I was preaching in one city in Brazil, and I was literally like, you know, leaning on the <laughs> leaning on the pulpit just to keep myself up. And yet, all the way through, and then I go, "Oh, there's another. Yeah, it's another. Now it's another ten hours on the bus." And you, you know, off you go. And all the while, I'm thinking to myself, "But if I can just get there." A blind eye will open. If I could just get there, someone who's deaf is going to be able to hear. If I could just get there, maybe cancer will disappear from someone's body. And invariably, it did. And I didn't have time to, I didn't have time to think, oh God, am I worthy? Am I ready? Am I able? Have I fasted? I sure did fast. The food was terrible on that bus. Have I bound my ten demons today? And more importantly, how long does the binding last? All I had to think was, God's good. It's his will to demonstrate his power in this football ground or wherever it was, this football uh, hall. And I can do anything God wants me to do. And so can you. So we have to have faith in God, the real God. We have to have faith in in God's ability to work through me and you. It's not faith in us as in we are God. Absolutely not. But don't confuse 
Don't confuse humility with disobedience. Well, I, I'm never going to be able to do that. That's just doubt and unbelief. Third one, have we got time? Should we do it quickly? All those in favor say aye. Third one, it's uh, have faith in the God who answers prayer. Very quickly, we looked at have faith in God in verse 22. We looked at the power that God gives to individuals in verse 23. And then verse 24, the third one. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it and it will be yours. I think we can grow discouraged in prayer. I think we can grow discouraged in prayer. Because there is a kind of a, and we were talking about this on Tuesday a little bit, there can be a kind of a a sense that if we've prayed for it a couple of times and we haven't seen it happen, then maybe we should give up. Go to Luke chapter 18 with me, please, in your Bible. Luke chapter 18. In these last five minutes, I want to, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to see if I can reset you. Refresh your settings. To enable you once again to believe in the power of persistent prayer. Luke 18 verse 1 in the NIV begins, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So we've got it straight from the, straight from the Lord's mouth. This is why he's telling the story, because people give up in prayer. And Jesus is God speaking. So God, God is concerned. Listen, look at me, look at me. God is concerned that people give up praying about things. God. God. And he still is. So he tells them the story. And you know the story. Here it is. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now he was the unjust judge. Look at that in verse 6. The unjust judge. That means he'd taken a bribe. The most likely thing to have happened here was that this lady owned a piece of land, her husband had died, and that land in the law could either have gone to her as the widow and her sons, or it could have gone to the man's brother. So that's what this is about. And what's happened is the guy has taken a bribe. He's an unjust judge, verse 6. So something corrupt has gone on. It's not just that he thought it was better than this, or this was the law, or something. He was an unjust judge. So the, the inference is he's taken a bribe from the dead man's brother, and the land now belongs to him. And so the woman comes, no, no, this land belongs to me. And my sons, we must have this land. And so she comes to him, grant me justice, verse 3, against my adversary. Verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually wear me out in the newer version. Come and attack me with all her coming. See, the woman kept coming 
Because she was stubborn? Because she must have believed that by keeping on coming, it was going to shift something. And she believed that she had right on her side. The land belonged to her. Now, apologies for all solicitors listening to this. But a few years ago, we were trying to move house. And I kept ringing the solicitor. Now, apologies to all solicitors. God loves you. And I'm sure you're very good. But our solicitor wouldn't answer our phone. And we had to move out. You know what's like when you've got to move house? Right? We've got to move house. Come on. Get the money. Move. Take the offer. Take it. Sound like Benny Hinn there. Take it. And the solicitor would answer the phone. So I thought, there's what? There's only one way to do it. Go to the solicitor's office. And I went and I sat there, the most unpopular person, every day. And many times, it, wasn't, it wouldn't have been every day, but many times, Jane will tell you, I, I'm telling you, I went and sat in the corridor. I just want to talk to the solicitor. And I knew the solicitor wouldn't have any news for me. And I knew that she would see me but for a few brief seconds. But I also knew that by showing up and sitting there, all um, ex-stone of me, sitting there, I'm here to see the solicitor. Oh, no. This was not a good evangelism strategy either. But I knew, if I keep going, I keep going, I keep going, I'm going to get what I want. And I did. Now, God is not like the solicitor. Well, uh, and, and, of course, my solicitor was not unjust. She may have been only 15, but she was not unjust. I went to see the solicitor, sat down and said, it's nice to see you. Shouldn't you be in school? When the policemen look young, you know that? Yeah, you're getting older. Jesus says to them, I'm very concerned because I want to do things for you. I want to answer your prayers, but you're not asking me. You have to come back again and again. And it's this word, I learned it this week, importunity. Importunity, you can look it up later if you like. To be importune means you are always at it to the point of being annoying. To the point of being stubborn. Refusing to take no for an answer. (coughs) Now there are times, please listen carefully. There are times in prayer when we do not know what the will of God is. Yes? We know. We don't know if Duncan should be our husband or... Sheila or whatever. We don't know if we should get this job or not. We don't know if we should get this house or not. You know, etc. But there are other things we know are God's will because we read them in the Bible. And when we know it is the will, it's the will of God for God to move upon your son and daughter, isn't it? It's the will of God for the Holy Spirit to come upon your grandchildren. Yes? That's the will of God. It's the will of God for you to be set free of that... Uh, um, Addictive sin. It's the will of God for you to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. You don't need to, I wonder if God wants to do this. You know it. Because you read it. And you put your faith in it. In God's goodness. That God is not a, a withholding father, but a giving father. And if you ask him for bread, he doesn't give you a snake. And so we come again and again. Lord, don't. Remember my daughter, right? You haven't forgotten, have you, Lord? Remember my son, Lord. 
Lord, remember my mother. Lord, Lord, remember, remember the guy at work, John. I want him to come to Jesus. Lord, remember him. And you come again and again and again and again and again. That's what it means when Jesus said, I tell you, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But it's not a one-off thing. Sometimes it's a again and again and again. And you might say to me, well, asking again and again and again, that sounds like it takes faith. Bingo! You got it! Faith! Yes! Let me ask you this. In a certain miracle service, a man comes forward, two men say. Both have arthritis of the knees. One is instantly set free and returns to his seat rejoicing. The other man hobbles back unhealed. The next week he comes again. He returns to his seat unhealed. The next week he comes again. You tell me which of the two men has the greater faith. Is it not the man who comes again and again? Is it not the man whom God is somehow in his divine wisdom, in his goodness, not because he's bad, he's developing faith in that man? Yes. The friend at midnight is the same. Oh, I need bread. Oh, I'm already here. Luke chapter 11. But because he keeps asking, keep asking. The Bible says this in James 4 verse 2. You have not because you ask not. So if there's something you don't have and you know it's God's will, the real God, not the one in your head, the one in the Bible, the one in heaven, Ask, 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 ask. And I want to finish with this just simple thought. Just go to Mark chapter 10. I want to be careful with what I say. Mark 10, the very end of the chapter. Bartimaeus, or Bartimaeus, you might like to call him that, but Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, is he? Timothy's son, Bartimaeus, cries out to Jesus. Verse 47 of Mark chapter 10. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tell him, oh, shut up, don't talk. Tell him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, verse 48, you see that? Shouted all the more, have mercy on me, son of David. So Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And this is it, verse 51. What do you, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. I want to finish just with this one simple thought. Just one simple thought. The blind man arrives in the presence of Jesus and Jesus, now listen, so carefully, so carefully, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want of me? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. That's what I want I want 
to see. Now, that sounds so obvious, but let me rewrite the story. What he could have said if he was in a church today. He could have said, Lord, whatever you want for me. Lord, maybe it's better that I cannot see, for my hearing is good. No, no, really. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. If he was in a church today, what would Bartimaeus say? Lord, whatever you want for me. If you like, you can open my eyes, but maybe you want to do something deep in my heart. Maybe you want to deal with my negative attitude towards my son. Maybe you want to take me on a journey of difficulty where I can discover that I'm selfish. Are you listening to me? In a, in a church service today, that is perhaps what a devout, God-fearing, humble Christian might say. And if you are that devout, humble, God-fearing Christian, I thoroughly salute you. Because there are times to say, Lord, this is what I want, but please do whatever you think is best. Of course. But every now and then, every now and then, in the presence of God, I think we should stand in the presence of God in the fear of the Lord. And when Jesus says, what do you want? We should tell him exactly what we want. Because if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he does not give us the desires of someone else's heart. He gives us the desires of our heart. Now if you think that I'm suggesting we should be disrespectful to God, or not live in the fear of God, then you don't know me very well or you haven't been around me very long. I believe Christians should fear and respect God a good deal more than they do, including me. But Jesus said, what do you want? And blow me down. Bartimaeus told him exactly what he wanted. I want this, please. And Jesus said, go. Your faith, look at the end of it here. Your faith has healed you and immediately he received his sight. So what do you want? What do you want? The woman with the issue of blood had an issue of blood. But she had many other problems. She probably was angry about this. She probably could have done with a few more shekels in the bank. She might have been a bit unforgiving. She might have had a a difficult situation with her mother. All manner of things that God might have wanted to have touched. But when she touched Jesus, she said, I'm touching you, Lord, to be cured physically. And the power of the Holy Spirit went into her and did not cause her to forgive her mother, did not cause her not to have bad dreams, did not, I mean, we don't know, of course, The point I'm making is, what she wanted, she got. What she asked for, she got. Jesus said, I want you to pray always and not give up. Now, you can't ask for things that are not the desires of God's heart. But you know what they are by reading the Bible. But when you ask according to the will of God, 
The general will of God. Not something specific for you. The general will of God. I believe it's time for you to come back. I want to reset you. That it's time for you to say, I'm going to be like that woman who said, this land is mine. This situation should be being sorted out. It's long overdue. I want to stand in the presence of Jesus. And in fear and trembling and with, and with respect and with all due reverence. I want to say, Lord, please really do this for me. Please do this for me. This is what I want you to do for me. If you wish, you can do a hundred other things. If you wish, you can fulfill this prayer at a later time. But I'm asking you for it. If you believe you've received, you shall have. What do you want me to do for you? The life of faith. I encourage you this morning, in a world of pessimism and fear, we have the spirit of faith. You can't always get everything right, but you can always choose to be an optimist. People at work may not believe your beliefs, but optimism is a great evangelism strategy. Faith will either bring a miracle to you or allow you to live above the circumstance. So I encourage you this morning, put your faith in the good God revealed in Jesus. Put your faith in the God who lives in you and will enable you to do whatever God has for you to do. And put your faith in the God who answers prayer. And even answers the desire of your heart. Let's stand. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.